Hey, everybody. Happy New Year. It is really good to be with you today, even though we are not physically gathered. And I hope you've all had a wonderful Christmas season. I hope that the cold weather has not presented too many challenges for you. Um, I know for some of you that wasn't the case. You had frozen pipes or pipes burst in the house, uh, which is the worst. Um, but uh, please know if you have any needs, uh, we are here for you. If you need help cleaning up or moving furniture or whatever, uh, please don't hesitate to reach out to uh, either me or Justin. Uh, but I hope for most of you that uh, there were not any problems and that it was a wonderful Christmas season. Uh, I thought our family had uh, had maybe gotten a reprieve from some of the water issues that some of you experienced. Uh, thankfully, we didn't have any pipes that burst in the house. However, on the day after Christmas, our uh, main sewer line decided to back up into the house. And so suddenly we were dealing with uh, sewage flooding the house. And thankfully, we were able to catch it in time and get it stopped. And miraculously, we're able to get a plumber over to the house uh, on the day after Christmas pretty quickly, actually, to get it taken care of. Um, and, and so it didn't cause too many problems. But I thought <laughs> I thought we actually weren't going to have any water issues. And lo and behold, uh, the Lord had other plans. So um, uh, other than that, our family had a great Christmas. Uh, we actually, for the first time, maybe ever didn't travel on Christmas Day. I mean, normally we don't travel far, but uh, my, my parents live in Minden. Like, it's, it's pretty common that we'll uh, go spend time with them on Christmas Day. Uh, and, and just kind of generally not be at our house other than maybe like in the morning. Uh, but this year was different. We got up, we opened presents, uh, we came and worshiped uh, with you guys, and then we spent the rest of the day at home, and it was really, really great. Uh, our kids immersed themselves in their new toys. Um, I actually got to take a nap. Um, we ate some leftover gumbo from Christmas Eve, and it was really just kind of like a day of Sabbath. And, and as we come into the new year, uh, our focus in the first quarter of this year is on the concept of Sabbath, uh, what it is, what it isn't, uh, how we come to embrace and practice the Sabbath more and more in our lives. Those are things that we're going to be talking about uh, starting now and in the weeks to come. And if you remember, this is all part of a plan uh, to focus in as a church on developing Developing a rule of life uh, over the next couple of years for ourselves as individuals, for our families, and also for our church community, that we would figure out um, what our rule of life looks like. And if you recall, that that doesn't mean rules for life, as is often pointed out, but rather um, it's just sort of a guide for how we're going to live in the day-to-day, -day, how we're going to engage with God in the day-to-day, -day, and what practices and habits we're putting in place to facilitate all of that and to facilitate spiritual growth and growing closer to God. Um, so we're going to be looking at a number of different practices. We're going to be taking them quarter by quarter over the next couple of years. And so the first one we're going to be digging deeper on is Sabbath itself. And honestly, I think we're starting with what is one of the hardest practices uh, for us to fully embrace 
And I think there are two or three reasons for that that I'm going to get into. Uh, but Sabbath is difficult. And um, maybe to just define that further, I, I, I just a very basic definition de- definition for Sabbath would just be resting in God, resting in God. And um, it's hard. And let me just talk about a few ways why it's hard for us. Uh, First of all, it is just culturally foreign to us. Now, you could argue uh, that that has always been the case, particularly here in the West, unless you are like uh, Jewish and sort of practicing and and you're of a more orthodox Jewish persuasion. Um, But there was a time when I think it was easier on some level uh, and somewhat more normal culturally for Sunday, at least, to be viewed as a day of rest or a day of Sabbath. I'm old enough to remember a time when everything kind of was closed on Sundays, especially in the small town that I grew up in. Um, If you wanted to go grocery shopping on a Sunday, you couldn't. Um, In today's world, Sunday is like one of the primary days that people go grocery shopping. If you've ever been on a Sunday afternoon, the grocery store will just be slammed. Uh, But you couldn't even go when I was a kid. It was really difficult to get gas on a Sunday, too, I remember. Like, gas stations would be closed. Uh, This was a day before there were credit card readers at the gas pump. And so, literally, the station had to be open in order for you to be able to get gas. And so, you just couldn't uh, most of the time on a Sunday. It was really... It was really just kind of difficult to conduct business uh, on a Sunday. In fact, I have a very vivid memory as a kid of a guy in our church who who owned uh, a few gas stations in our town. I remember him standing up on a Sunday morning and sharing a testimony that he had just felt convicted by God because uh, one of his gas stations was open on Sunday. And he had come to the conclusion that he needed to close that station. And I don't know how old I was when I heard this, but uh, it's a very vivid memory that I have. And I had to have been probably 10 or younger. And and yet, if you were born in like the 90s or onward, you have probably never known a world like what I'm describing, a world where it's just not really possible to kind of buy or sell on Sundays. And the internet has only served to make uh, constant work more of a reality or a possibility. And you know, the sheer fact that we could experience a worldwide pandemic and all continue to do our work, even while in quarantine, is a remarkable change in human behavior and human ability historically. I mean, those things have just never been possible until the present age. But that reality has also undoubtedly significantly contributed to like the epidemic of depression and anxiety and addiction and burnout that we've all been living through. Um, You were not made, I was not made to work constantly. In fact, I believe the Bible would actually label that as sin, believe it or not. Uh, And culturally, working constantly 
is viewed favorably, isn't it? It's, it's viewed in, in the most positive terms for you to be somebody um, who just, just works and, and that that is a large part of your identity. Uh, Elon Musk has been in the news recently, and some people idolize Elon Musk because he's like this archetypal workaholic. You know, he's the guy who sleeps at the office and is firing off emails at 3 a.m. But listen, that, that kind of behavior is not born out of a desire to honor the Lord, right? It's born out of a love of money or power or success or out of a search for personal meaning or personal significance. And that's not to say that uh, God doesn't want us to work hard. I, I think he does. Uh, for example, the Apostle Paul says in uh, Colossians chapter 3, whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Christ. But the overarching idea that the Bible presents that you can see even in that verse or those verses that I just read is that all things are to be done unto the Lord, which begs the question, what does God want us to do, right? What does he want us to do? And in a broad stroke, I think the scripture's answer is that God wants us to live lives where we work out of a place of rest in him. And so that requires um, us to push back against the prevailing culture, which is not surprising if you've explored the story of Jesus, that we would be called to live counterculturally. We're to push back against the prevailing culture and embrace a rhythm of both hard work and what I would call hard rest that we would work hard and we would also rest hard. Or to put another way, that when we are working, we are working fully as unto him, and when we are resting, we are resting fully as unto him. But what does it say about us that we have such a hard time stopping our work? Or what, it, what does it say about us that we have such a hard time just resting in God? A.J. Swoboda, in his wonderful book called Subversive Sabbath, notes that the great irony of Sabbath keeping is how hard it is for us to say no to other people but how with such ease we say no to being at rest with God. He also points out how, how endemic this is even in the American church and for church leaders. He says the problem with the Sabbath is there are huge rewards and incentives for not actually doing it. Modern church growth has basically built, been built on no rest our church industrial complex generally rewards Sabbath breaking as a rule. So I think this is an important observation for us as we pursue developing a rule of life, not just as individuals, but as a faith community. We can't uh, encourage you guys uh, to pursue the Sabbath well and then also at the same time create stru church structures that make it difficult for you to engage with the Sabbath.
or make it difficult for you to actually have an ability to Sabbath well. So it's just culturally foreign to us. The second reason why this is difficult is um, it's not only culturally foreign, but it's also just not a habit that we have, right? It's not a part of our rhythm. And I think one of the reasons why it isn't a habit um, is because we have no imagination for it. Um, it's not something we see around us largely. We don't see people practicing Sabbath well, even within the church. So it's hard for us to have uh, a sense of what it could look like. It's hard for us to imagine what a weekly Sabbath could be. And it may be helpful here for me to just kind of put my cards on the table and say that when I'm talking about the Sabbath, I am talking about it in the biblical sense as being like a, a weekly 24-hour period. Um, so not necessarily a moment here and there, and not just rest for rest's sake, but, but rest that is very much focused on God, um, but is also rejuvenative to us, and is not uh, kind of here and there, but is this consistent thing that we engage in on a weekly basis. Um, but because it's culturally foreign, even that explanation that I just gave it seems really vague and, and somewhat nebulous. And, and, and if you add to that idea of resting in God, um, like, like it even further muddies the waters. Like it's not just rest, but it's rest in God. Like that takes it to a new place of like, what does that mean? And what does that even look like? So we either come away thinking we need to either like somehow engage um, in a day of like uber spiritual practices, or we need to somehow on the other side figure out how to take like a 24 hour nap each week. And what I want us to recognize is that those two positions, um, those largely represent two unattainable extremes and that true Sabbath is actually somewhere in the middle. Uh, so one extreme being like this uber spiritual thing where everything I do is spread. I spend my whole day praying and fasting and reading scripture and worshiping um, versus this other side where it's, it's all about the rest part of that and rest to me is sleeping or just doing nothing. And so my whole day is devoted to doing nothing. Those are extremes. I think we need to find a place in the middle. A classic text when talking about Sabbath is Jesus at the beginning of Mark's gospel in chapter 2, starting in verse 23. And what it says is one Sabbath, he, Jesus, was going through the grain fields, and as they made their way, his disciples began to pluck heads of grain. And the Pharisees were saying to him, look, why they're doing what is not lawful on the Sabbath. And he said to them, have you never read what David did when he was in need and was hungry? He and those who were with him, how he entered the house of God in the time of Abiathar, the high priest, and ate the bread of the presence, which is not lawful for any but the priest to eat, and also gave it to those who were with him. And he said to them, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. So the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath. So 
That's a really helpful passage to me because Jesus takes the concept of Sabbath and he moves it out of the realm of like ritualistic religious practice and and into the realm of practicality. And in that text, the Pharisees represent the ritualistic, very rigid religious observance of Sabbath. They have all these rules around Sabbath. They're upset because Jesus' disciples have broken the rules that they've made surrounding Sabbath. And, and I think what Jesus is perhaps getting at is that when, when Sabbath has become so rigid and rules-based, it, it ceases to be restful, and it actually almost becomes a form of work in and of itself. And the work now becomes rule following or rule keeping. And, and when that's the case, like it ceases to exist for its intended purpose. David, however, is like the counterbalance to the Pharisees in that um, account. David, according to Jesus, represents, I think, a correct view of Sabbath keeping where the intention is largely focused on what is life giving to the individual. In, in the story Jesus references, David is on the run from King Saul, who's trying to kill him. Um, he's not well resourced. He's very hungry. He comes into a place of worship and he eats the special bread that would have been placed on the altar as an offering and that could only be eaten by the priest. That was the rule, at least. Uh, that, this would, you know, to some extent be akin to you, like, uh, coming in and, like, gobbling up all of the communion bread. Um, that, that's not what its purpose is, right? It, it's not for me to, like, fill my stomach as, as if it's a meal. Um, it, it's meant for more of a ritualistic religious purpose. And yet David comes in and he eats this bread, which wasn't what it was for, and it was against the rules. And yet Jesus presents that as something that is correct, unlike the rigid rule-keeping of the Pharisees. So David is doing something counter to the rules, yes, but Jesus' point is, but he was hungry. But he was hungry. So, so what's more important? Uh, elsewhere, Jesus says something like, would none of you guys pull your donkey out of a hole? that he fell into, even if it was on the Sabbath? Like, would you, not, would you not do any work? Would you not break some of these rules that you've made if it was a situation that would truly affect your livelihood? So I'm inclined to think that the better question for us to consider here may not be what is more restful to you, but rather what is most life-giving to you. Um, that, that word rest, at least for me personally, connotates sleeping, like literally, like physically doing nothing at all. And I think there's a history of that being a part of the Sabbath, you know, just like taking it easy and not having a lot of, a lot to do or a lot of things going on, which is great. Um, however, what have you devoted a day each week to being nourished, filled, recharged, reinvigorated for the glory of God and for the work that he has created you to do? Like not working so that you can rest, but resting so that you can then go do what God has called you to do, working out of a place of rest. What could that look like for you? Um, what would you do? What would you not do? How would you structure your time? 
This is where I want us to start on this journey uh, over these next few months of talking about the Sabbath, learning about the Sabbath, Sabbath, uh, thinking about what it could look like in our lives. Um, is is just this developing an imagination for it, um, really starting to uh, just put some parameters around it, some handholds. What could this look like for us, and what steps could we take now to start to move into this as a weekly practice? And here are just a few ways, and I'm I'm closing with this, just a few ways we're going to help you guys um, as we all move forward together. So first of all, we're going to send out uh, a very short weekly video teaching like this one, but much shorter each week. Uh, We're going to send out a video teaching to explore what the Bible says about the Sabbath, because the Bible says a lot about Sabbath, Um, and also to help us maybe consider some options for ourselves and our families. Um, So that's something uh, that is going to be happening each week. Uh, Second, we're going to read a book together over this quarter that's called Sabbath. Uh, It's by Dr. Dan Allender, and we're going to start having monthly uh, book club uh, type discussion gatherings where we're going to talk about the book and, and and also maybe do some like group coaching around Sabbath practices and share ideas with each other. Um, and we'll have these books available for you on the 8th, January 8th here at the church. Um, and you can get started reading that. And then we'll let you know once we schedule a date for January's book club gathering. Third, we're going to send out some other resources to you guys that we think might be helpful. Uh, We're primarily going to be leaning on some content that has been created by uh, John Mark Comer, who you may remember as the author of The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry. Uh, John Mark Comer and his ministry called Practicing the Way. Um, We're going to be sort of following some of their uh, guides that they have put together. And so we'll suggest things to you from them, uh, other podcasts, other books, articles, uh, just different things that you can engage with that could be helpful to you. Uh, So be on the lookout for that. And and then finally, and this is something that's always available, but Justin and I are more than available uh, to walk with you or with you and your spouse through a season of coaching uh, to just help you put together a plan for either you or you and your family. And uh, we would love to help you do that. So if that's something you are interested in, just reach out to me, uh, Weston at covenantshreveport.org, or you can email Justin at info at covenantshreveport.org. And we would love to walk with you as you process, as you dream, as you try to implement um, some of what we're talking about. Um, Let me just close with a word of prayer. Um, and, And let me also say that uh, this is a journey for me as well, right? I, I am not speaking out of a place where I've been practicing some kind of rich Sabbath for years and years. Um, I think our family has had seasons where we've done this better than others, uh, where we've been more intentional than, uh, than others. And if you hear me say anything, it's this, have an abundance of grace for yourself uh, because we are talking about retraining ourselves Um, changing habits, rewiring things in our brain to some extent. 
And that takes time and it takes a lot of patience and it takes consistency as well. And so I am not uh, the sage or the wise master who has this mountain conquered and I'm here to tell you everything I've learned. Uh, I'm very much uh, a pilgrim who is on this journey with you. And I personally am looking forward uh, to growing in this discipline um, in the months and years to come. So let me pray for all of us as I close. God, thank you for the truth of your word. Uh, thank you for the Sabbath itself and that it is something that was made for me made for us. And I pray, God, you help me to embrace that. I pray, Lord, uh, that as we all begin to dream and imagine what it could look like for us to rest in you, um, to find life in you, that you would, through your Holy Spirit, give us a vision for that, an imagination for that. And I pray, God, that as we begin to implement those practices, that it truly will be um, a life-altering thing for us. And so, God, give us your grace. Um, help us to be patient with ourselves and yet spur us along in diligence uh, to pursue you and to pursue a new way of living. Um, and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you guys. We'll see you later.